The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, as you know, if you've been here any number of weeks at all, you know we just go verse by verse by verse in, in God's Word because we believe it's, if it's God's Word, uh, he's, got a lot, something, he's got something to say, nothing, nothing that I have to say. You want to come to hear what he has to say. And so last week was awesome. Last week was just one of those fuzzy, warm messages. I got a little grief this week from my brothers up on staff. I mean, they were like making fun of the way I was, you know, I was like, I'm just getting hammered left and right here. But the point was that God reaches down and grabs us up and just shows his love to us. Just, we talked about what's the number one thing that we can do to please God. And, and if we're honest, we tend to think, well, I got to do something very religious or something very sacrificial. And, and what we saw was the number one thing that pleases God is that we walk with him. That he loves us, he created us to just walk with him and enjoy a trusting, loving relationship with him. And we understand that is done as we are cleansed by the blood of Christ in a trusting, loving, obedient relationship with Jesus. And so that's a fun message. And it's not surprising that the very next verse, not so fun. That's oftentimes the way the scriptures work that, that we see. If we will read everything that's in the word, some things are easy to receive, some things are hard to receive, but we don't have the right to pick and choose what we listen to in the word of God. I certainly don't have the right to only preach those passages to you that I think they'll like this because I don't have that privilege. If it's really God's word, and I'm absolutely convinced this is absolutely is the word of God, then I am obligated to share with you what all of God, God's word says. Not only that, but in the hard words, we find much grace. In the difficult passage of Scripture, we find grace is very attractive to us. We talked several weeks ago, if you remember, all through the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews has been saying, you know, trust Christ, trust Christ, trust Christ. And he's been talking about it using uh, nautical analogies. He's talked about Christ as the anchor, like we know a boat has an anchor. He says Christ is the anchor of the soul, and he's been calling us to, to by faith, latch our lives onto Christ, who is the anchor. And he said, do not drift away. Do not let, your subtle, let the subtle currents of life drift you away from the Lord, verse after verse. And then we got to chapter 10, and remember what we read in chapter 10. It was really the first kind of scary warning passage where he says in 10, 26 through 31, he says, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth about Jesus, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If we reject Jesus, the sacrifice for our sins, there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. Instead, all that remains for us, he says in verse 27, is a terrifying expectation of judgment. The fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three. So how much more severe will the punishment do you think will be or deserve those who trample under the foot, underfoot the Son of God? Those who trample the Son of God. Those who regard as unclean His blood. And those who have insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
And so with these words, he's warning us, anchor, to your, anchor yourself to the soul. And we've talked about that analogy. And we're, we're, he's warned us, don't drift, don't drift, don't drift. But now he's saying, you need to understand why you don't need to drift. It's because around the corner of the bend of the river, there's a waterfall. There's a cliff. And if you keep drifting, you're going to fall off the cliff to your death and destruction. And so now he's saying, there's a serious unseen reality that you need to be aware of that will lead you. The grace in that is, it causes us to say, wait a minute, what's he been saying? He's been calling us to not drift. And so the, the hard message there is destruction around the bend leads us to heed the message of the good news. Anchor yourself to Christ. And so that's what he continues to do today. He has for us another warning, another, another hard word for us. And we've been reading through Hebrews and we slowed down. We've been basically doing about a chapter a week, but then when we got to Hebrews 11, we slowed way down and now we're doing on like, only like a verse or two a week. So we need to be careful that like just three verses ago was about a month ago. And so we have to be careful not to lose the context of what is going on in the letter as he writes it. And so I want to read the entire section of Hebrews 11, 1 through 7, even though we're zeroing in just on verse 7. So listen to what he says in the verses leading in on this this chapter 11. He says, now faith is assurance of things hoped for. He's defining faith for us, giving us the nuances of what is faith. Faith is assurance of things hoped for. It's conviction of things not seen. And then he says, for by faith, by it, men of old gained approval. And then he starts to work through Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, 4, 5, and 6 in these verses. He says, Genesis 1 is all about creation, right? By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Then he gets to uh, uh, chapter 4 of Genesis in, in, in verse 4. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith... Though he is dead, he still speaks. Then he gets to Genesis 5 in verse 5 and talks about Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. He was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so then in Genesis 6... We will read a note about the story of Noah in chapter 11, 7 of Hebrews. He brings up Noah. He says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God about the things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and he became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So what you can see the writer of Hebrews is doing in chapter 11, he's working verse by verse through Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And he's showing us this is what faith is, this is what faith looks like. Now when we think of the story of Noah, you say, well, I don't know why you are acting like this is going to be a hard message. Noah's an awesome story. It's where God, it's where uh, Noah is the hero and he saves all the animals. 
And that's what we tend to, to think the story of Noah is. That's what Bible stories for kids tend to picture it as is, hey, look how awesome. Noah built an ark and all the animals were saved and it's another fuzzy warm story. Well, if you read it in Genesis, it's not quite so fuzzy warm. In the story of Genesis, we are continuing, continuing where the story of Genesis has been going from Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And what has the story been? The story has been one of Adam and Eve rejecting the will of God. God who said, look, I made all this and I want you to just enjoy me. Just trust me. Enjoy me. Walk with me. Walk with God. Instead, they rebel and everything starts to unravel and unfold. They are, they're separated from God. They're, they're fighting with each other. And instead of God's will being done where God's will was, listen, I want you to love me, walk with me, have lots of babies, and let your babies grow up and have babies. And all these babies that grow up will fill the earth, and they'll be worshipers of people, families who walk with me on this beautiful earth that I've created for you. Instead, the picture is, through the genealogies that we saw in Genesis 4 and Genesis 5, the picture is they're having children, but instead they're they're, they're passing down their sin nature. Adam and Eve, sin, reject God, and division. Cain and Abel, the first two kids. Cain kills Abel. In the middle of the genealogy of uh, Enoch, sounds great, but it's in the middle of all this. This guy died, he died, he died, he died, he died. It's a passing on of the curse of sin. Separating from the presence, the the life-giving source of God leads to death. Sin leads to death. And so that's the the message of of the genealogies. And then you you read in the next chapter, we get to to, uh, the passage that we're studying today in Genesis chapter 6, and we see it's no different. In Genesis chapter 6, we're going to see all that they thought and did all the time. All of humanity on the face of the earth was wicked. And that's the point of, of the Genesis 6 Noah story. Here's the point of the Noah story. Noah's not the hero. God's the hero. In the midst of all the fallen wickedness and tragedy and violence that we're going to read this. You're going to see this is what God says. In the middle of all that, God rescues one man and his family. And that's the point, is that we can be rescued from the curse of sin and death and the coming devastation and destruction that we deserve if we will heed the words of God by faith. And that's, hard. that's a hard message for us to understand because it involves all these unseen realities. The author has been saying the Christian life is about unseen realities. I'll be honest. I don't think of myself as wicked as the scriptures presents me. Before coming to Christ, I was a good, I kept my nose clean. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't do things I wasn't supposed to do. After a salvation, I think I got better in my behavior. I don't like admitting that, but that's true. Now, when I read the scriptures, it presents me in a much different picture. It says things like, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are in the same boat, deserving the the just penalty of our sin and our separation from God. I don't believe that as much as I should. 
And the problem with that is when I think I'm kind of just not that good, then my Savior's not that good. The more I understand how desperately I needed a Savior, the more glorious my Savior becomes. And then the more my life is a life of gratitude, a life of worship for my big, massive, gracious Savior who saved me, though I absolutely did not deserve it. And all of us are in that same boat. That's what the scripture says. All of sin falls short of the glory. The wages of sin is death. And we're going to see that. That's the message. That's the context of the story of Noah, that all of humanity is in desperate need of salvation. Salvation from what? This is what really gets hard to hear. When we say, I'm saved, what are we saved from? We're saved from the wrath of God that we deserve for our own sins. And you say, well, how can a God be loving and just and and do that? Well, just like any judge, if you go down to the Supreme Court or any courthouse and you stand before a judge, or I've used this illustration many times, that if someone committed an egregious crime against someone that you love and that criminal is standing before the judge and the judge says, well, what can you do for me? And I'll let you off. You're going to say, hey, where's justice? Where is justice? The crime must be punished. But when we're the ones standing for the judge, how's that fair? So the point is, the only right thing that a just, perfect, holy God can do is is to punish sin. And that's the condition we're all in. It's a hard message to hear. Because what do we do? We instantly look for someone who is not as good as we are and say, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not pointing at you, Granger. I'm not as bad as, as that person. And so I feel like I don't deserve this harsh message. So let's, let's think about that a little bit. And what we see is in the scriptures, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, Wayne Grudem helps us, and he, he takes all the scriptures, and he talks about it. He kind of summarizes the teaching of the condition of humanity apart from God. He says this. It's not just some parts of us, according to scriptures. It's not just some parts of us are sinful and other parts are pure. Rather, he says, every part of our being is affected by sin. Our intellects, our emotions, our desires, our hearts, our goals and motives, even our physical bodies. Paul, St. Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells within me. That's the St. Paul talking. I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. And to the corrupt, unbelieving, he says nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are corrupted. Moreover, Jeremiah the prophet tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it, he asks. Grudem goes on to explain, in these passages, Scripture is not, listen to this, he's saying, Scripture is not denying that unbelievers can do good in human society in some senses. But it is denying that they can do any spiritual good 
or be in good terms or be good in terms of a relationship with God apart from the work of Jesus Christ in our lives we are all like all other unbelievers darkened in our understanding alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in us due to the hardness of our heart. That's what the Bible teaches about us. I like the way John Selhammer explained it with the analogy of a tree, an apple tree. Think of a beautiful apple tree planted in a soil that has been contaminated with nuclear waste. Water the soil and it grows. The sun gives it what it needs to grow. And it grows and it actually produces big, beautiful, ripe apples. And we take that apple and we cut it open and it looks good. It looks like good fruit. But what do we know? It's laced with poison. And see, that's the way all of us are in our sinful condition before Christ uproots us out of the contamination of the sinful heart. We have fruit that looks pretty. We can do good deeds. We can say nice things. But the unseen reality is it's laced with the poison of sin. And we need our lives ripped up out of that soil and replanted in good soil. That's the scriptural message. That's the unseen reality that this Noah's Ark is dealing with. Faith is being convicted of the truthfulness of the unseen realities that God has revealed to us in the scriptures, even though it is counterintuitive and it goes against every ounce of our being. So that's where we're going to be challenged today. Do you believe that about yourself? That's the position that Noah found himself in. And we see this in chapter 6 of Genesis. Turn, if you will, to chapter 6 of Genesis. If you have one of those old-timey kind of things called books that have papers in them, you might want to put your finger at Hebrews and at Genesis. If you've got one of those new technology ones, you might bookmark it or however you do that in the new technology world. So we're going to be at Genesis and Hebrews. So in Genesis 6... 5 through 17, I want to read to you the context of the Noah story. This is where I get all this from. I'm not saying this because I want to. I'm saying this because this is what God has revealed to us. Genesis 6, 5 through 14 and some other various verses. He says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created on the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things. It's very similar to the creative, the creation account in Genesis 1. All the land, all the man, animals, man. He says, I've created them. And from man to the animals, the creeping things, to the birds, the sky, I am sorry that I made them. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. In verse 13, then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Verse 17. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which 
is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. So based on what God says as he looks down on humanity, instead of seeing fruitful worshipers spreading and filling the earth with his glory, he sees wickedness, he sees violence, he sees corruption, he sees sin and rebellion. And he says, this is not my will. This is wrong. And I'm starting over. And so he's going to wipe that out and he's going to start over. And that's what the Noah narrative is. And so Noah is faced with a challenge of his faith. Noah, do you believe this? Do you believe what God is saying or do you believe what you're seeing with your own eyes? Now, what was Noah seeing with his own eyes? What did these people look like? Surely the way we just read them described, they looked like the, the people on death row at Angola prison. Surely they were just wicked, evil people. And Noah's going, yeah, these people are obviously wicked. It's not, not what we hear when we look in the New Testament. Jesus describes the exact same scene, the exact same people in Matthew chapter 24. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 38 and 39, talking about the same people at the same time. Jesus says, For as in those days before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. That doesn't sound very wicked, does it? Look, just like me, eating, drinking, marrying, giving their kids away in marriage. It's not an ugly scene. What they see is not reality. And the only way to know the difference is, is God graciously reveals the truth. and says, listen, things are not as they appear. And so God tells Noah, listen, I know you look around and everybody looks happy and innocent and, and maybe even neutral and, and maybe some are not so bad and some are not so good. But, but really, God says, listen, that's not reality. Reality is all of them have been contaminated by a rebellious heart and they all are rebelling against me, even their righteous acts are like filthy rags before me. And Noah has to choose, do I buy this? Because it's all unseen realities. Do I believe this or do I bow up and say, Who, how dare you? How does he respond? That's the question. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is, is doing with us today. He's challenging us. He's saying, yeah, all these great truths about Jesus are wonderful, but, but do you understand that there is a judgment day coming? There is a flood of judgment coming. And like Noah, who was told about the coming flood, you stand, I stand in a position of having to decide, do I accept God's word as faithful and true? Do I believe that what God says that I can't see is true, or do I get offended and reject it? He says, Noah, Hebrews eleven seven, 7, Noah by faith, being warned by God about the things not yet seen. So Noah was warned about the coming judgment, though he couldn't see it. In his word, the Lord reveals that we are facing the same condition as Noah, 
And we are like Noah, standing, hearing the word of God, revealing to us unseen truths about our condition and the coming judgment, and we, like Noah, must decide. So let's look at how Noah responded. We see in Genesis chapter 7, verse 5, it says, Noah did according to all the Lord had commanded him. Noah obeyed. Noah responded by faith. What does the faith response look like? Obedience. What is faith? Being sure that what God said is true and right, and he's good, and he rewards those who follow him. The response of faith is obedience. And so we know in Genesis 6, 9 that Noah was a righteous man. He singled out just like Enoch. He walked with God. He trusted God. He was righteous. And so when God spoke and warned there's a coming judgment, he said, well, what do I need to do? He says, build an ark. He says, you got it. I'm building the ark. And so Noah responded in faith. Noah obeyed. He built the ark. He, he got the animals in. He got his family in. It says the Lord sealed up the door. The water came and the flood happened exactly as God said. God was true and God was faithful. In Genesis 8, 1 it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused the wind to pass over the earth and all the water subsided. God was faithful. He did exactly what he said he would do. After things settle down, Noah and his family get off the ark. What do they do? What would you do? What would you do? You just heard warnings from God. You responded in faith. You got on the ark. You got your family on the ark. You got wrapped up and you were saved. And when everything settles down, the ark's on dry ground. You get out. What would you do? You and I would both hit our knees and worship God in gratitude. And that's what he did. It says in eight, Genesis 8, 20 and 21, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings on the altar, and the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. He did the same thing Abel did. Abel brought a sacrifice to the Lord, and the Lord said, ah, It's a sacrifice of praise and worship from a person who has been saved and declared righteous due to no merit of his own. That's the picture that's going on here. That's the picture of Noah and the ark. So back to Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about the things not yet seen, i.e. the coming judgment, in reverence, A, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. B, by which he condemned the world. C, he became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So we see where the author gets all this. He gets it straight out of Genesis. What is he saying? He's saying, by faith, he believed that the unseen realities that God revealed, though they contradicted everything that you might think or feel or observe, he said, God is faithful and true and trustworthy. And so he responded in faith, which is he acted upon the words that God gave him. He built the ark. And so we see three implications of his faith, three implications of, of Noah's acting on faith that God is faithful and true and what he says is true. The first implication we see is on his family. 
tremendous implications on his family. It's described as he prepared an ark for salvation for his household. A man of God responding in faithful obedience to the Lord is a tremendous blessing to his household. It's God's design is that we pass on the faith to the children. And most of it happens like we'll talk about tonight at the baptism training. Most of it happens as we model it before their eyes. So it had tremendous implications on his household. Second, we see it had tremendous implication on his unbelieving friends. Notice what it says. It says that when he acted by faith and built the ark, it was by faith he was condemning the world. It's like, what? How did what he do condemn the world? All he did was receive the grace by faith. It doesn't mean that he's looking out the window of the ark going, told you so. You should have listened. I'm holier than you are. I got it right. You got it wrong. That's not what happened. He simply responded by faith. And what happens is it shines light on the darkness. What happens is there's a great divide and a great contrast when people live by faith and they live a life of obedience of, to unseen realities among a people who live by sight. There's a drastic difference. And it's a dual-edged sword. When the Lord comes back and he saves, those who aren't saved are therefore condemned. And so when, when Noah got on the ark, no matter how nice he was, no matter how politically correct he was, no matter how kind and gracious he was, he may have even pleaded, please come, please get on the ark, listen to the word of God, please. When the doors shut, they were condemned. That's the way it is with us. I don't care how nice How much a people pleaser you are, if you're like me, when you decide to walk by faith and live a life of obedience to the word of God, it will be a stark contrast and people will feel condemned by your words and your actions. What happened to Noah, we can expect the same to happen to us. Finally, the implications on his own soul. It says, by faith he became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Noah walked with God. Noah had faith in God. Specifically, Genesis 3.15 tells us God had promised, I'm going to restore all things through the seed of a woman. And the Bible traces that seed. That's the story of the Bible. The seed of the woman becomes the seed of Abraham becomes the seed of the line of Judah, one of the tribes of of Israel, line of Judah, becomes the seed of King David, becomes the seed of a virgin woman. And the New Testament tells us his name is Jesus. Noah was made righteous by faith in Jesus. He didn't know the name Jesus, but he knew God promised something unseen, that he's going to restore all things. He's going to make me righteous, and he's going to restore all things through this seed who is to come. And it made him righteous. And out of gratitude, out of worship, he obeyed this God who he knew as trustworthy. He built the ark. He was saved. His household was saved. The people were condemned. But it was a worship act to the Lord. 
And so I pray today that we understand that Jesus has told us the exact same. I mean, there's few parallels in scriptures that are this tight and this clear. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 36 and following. In verse 36, Jesus is speaking about the day that we meet the Lord when he comes back. He says, on that day, of that day and that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son know, but the Father alone knows. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like in the days of Noah, he says. For it is in those days before the flood when they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came. They didn't get it until the water is rushing over them and took them all away. So it will be when the Son of Man comes. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. And Jesus says to us today, Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day the Lord is coming. Whether it's the day the Lord comes or the day our heart stops beating, we meet the Lord, and there's only one way to be ready, and that's by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I pray that you hear this and respond as Noah. Believe that God is a good, loving, gracious, honest, trustworthy, faithful God who's revealed these unseen realities. Take him in his word. Trust in Jesus. Be grateful for the salvation and live a life of obedience as an expression of worship that is a soothing aroma to his nose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this hard message. We thank you that in hard words there is much grace, there is warning. It's the hard news that makes the good news so good. And Lord, I pray that we all receive it with faith today. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will move powerfully and give faith in the hearts of men and women today. Lord, I pray that to no one leaves here today denying the, what you've revealed, resisting it, or offended by it, but thankful for what you've revealed so that salvation can happen in lives and households and so that their lives can become sweet aromas of worship to you. Lord, as we sing this song about you and the fact that there is no other name but your name to be saved, Lord, I pray that hearts will leap for joy and gratitude for salvation today through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. 
For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.